0: Nicely done, beef. When football fans everywhere cheer for their team, they're cheering for you too, because your savory snacks fuel the gridiron battle. With your tasty sliders, hearty chilies, and drool-worthy steaks, every option is an MVP. Most valuable protein. So gather around the TV and get cooking at beefitswhatsfordinner.com. Funded by beef farmers and ranchers. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown startville midweek right now. State getting ready to play Texas A&M at 6 o'clock this Saturday night. Charlie and I are going to take a little bit of a break during the show today from football. We're going to talk to Jake Gotro on tonight's show and kind of get a fall baseball update. Charlie, hey. I saw where last night, we have talked about this extensively, about how you had never seen the movie Roadhouse. Did you enjoy the movie Roadhouse? I watched the movie Roadhouse. Did you watch a whole lot? I mean, did you follow it well? I did. If I give you questions about Roadhouse, can you answer the questions?
1: Well, I think we'll probably need to save that for uh, maybe a special
0: edition Roadhouse podcast. So uh, let me ask you this. Who was the doctor's uncle? Yeah, you've lost me already. See, that's red. So it's football season. Oh, my goodness. All right, so I was looking for something positive. I was looking for something positive. State losing this past weekend, 28-25. We had our Sunday coffee. Well, I didn't necessarily want
1: to talk about that either. So
0: uh, I was. That's why I wanted to talk about Roadhouse. Let's talk about what's going on in Starville right now. What's going on in Starville right now? It's a pretty day. We've got a good week. It's going to be, what,
1: no game this weekend?
0: No game here this weekend.
1: No game here this weekend, but plenty of places to get out and watch.
0: Yeah. Um, and
1: that is one thing. You know, there's a lot goes on in this town, even when there aren't games.
0: They have the Cotton District Arts Festival this weekend. Is that this weekend? That's it right. It is. It is this weekend. And that is a good reason to be here in town. You know, Starwell was voted the best place to retire in Mississippi in 2021. You've got so many different things to do. Cost of living, very reasonable for retirees. You've got Mississippi State sports. You've got the museums on campus. you got so many great things around town. Hey, you know, if, if you're thinking – you can work from anywhere in the – you can work from your house now. And so just move to Starkville. Hang out with us. Well, I think
1: you actually hit upon one of the things about Starkville that I really like is there's a lot to be done here even when there isn't a game being played. A lot of times, obviously, those are highlight weekends when you've got Super Bulldog weekend and you've got those. I enjoy some of the quiet weekends. I enjoy some of the what I call the off game weekends. It kind of adds something different to the town too. And you know, it's nice to get the arts festival back and going again, isn't it?
0: Yep, no doubt. many you got all kind of shopping, dining, the community theater. We do that on a lot of weekends. The community market. We talked about it last week. We're right down here at Fire Station Park, we do that a lot. And so a lot of great things going on in Startwell in Mississippi's college town. Of course, they had a huge crowd last weekend on Sunday afternoon for the Brunch and Browse. They do that after all the home football games. And it's a great place. Come on up here and hang out with us. Move. Get you a second home up here. Or get you a first home up here in Startwell. All right, Charlie. We are in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau go with the home team. Agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. The customer service we talk about it every week. The customer service is outstanding, and that's one of the main reasons that you and your family, whether you're looking for home, or you're looking for auto, or you're looking for life insurance, Farm Bureau, go with the Home Team. All right, Charlie. So after kind of looking back at this past weekend, you're going to make me do it, huh? Yeah, we're going to we, talk we've filibustered. We and, have filibustered <laughs> for uh, long enough hear. now. Let's talk about football. All right, we lost.
1: We lost twenty. It 20- shouldn't have.
0: We lost, to a t- lost a game we should not have lost to a team that's okay. And I was just kind of looking at it, and, you know, we brought this up a little bit on Sunday about watching. I went back and watched several games the other night. I was bored, couldn't sleep. And I was just flipping through and looking at various games on the ESPN app. And I go back to the point of kind of what I was saying about, you know, is anybody any good out there? And what are you measuring yourself against right now if you're Mississippi State? And, I mean, I don't want to use the term, like I said last year, about Missouri. I don't want to say vegetable lasagna, but we're not bad. We're not a bad team. We're not a great team. I don't know if we're, you know, a, a very good team. We're just not good enough to overcome right now some of the st- mistakes we're making.
1: So were you a ESPN 30 for 30 guy back when they first came out? Yes. And there were actually only 30 of them instead of
0: you know, 85 now. Now
1: we've got way too many 30 for 30s. But if you go back, one of the original ones had to do with Reggie Miller. Yes. You know that one was named Winning Time. And it had to do with this idea that at winning time in a ball game, Reggie Miller was something extra. He was something special. That when it all really mattered, he had the ability just to kind of rise to the occasion. You know, some guys, you say they play well in the clutch, things like that. You know, football is a little bit different than basketball in the sense of in basketball, you kind of know that the last two minutes is winning time. In pretty much any game, as long as you're close, it's how you play at the end, if you can just hang around. Football, when you look back, you don't know when the plays are going to come. But I would argue that in most games, you can go back and you can find about five. About five plays or calls or events during the game that were the difference in winning and losing. So you don't always know when winning time is going to be there, but it happens. And right now, what I think we have is a team that's pretty good. They don't yet know how to win. And I think back kind of the the opposite. You say, all right, what's the opposite of that? Think back in 99. I didn't think we were a great football team, but we won 10 games because we just didn't really know how to lose. We had that comeback at Auburn. And once we had that comeback, it was like we just assumed we could do that any weekend we wanted to. And then we come back and we have that field goal against Kentucky and we have the LSU game that's down to the wire, and the Ole Miss game. We had all those games where we just kind of kept coming back. We were right there, but we knew how to get that extra. Right now, I think this team has to find a way, has to find that confidence, has to find that ability to quit making mistakes at key times to be good at winning time.
0: you, you under, Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to talk to Jake Gotrow about last year, the end of the baseball season last year, and about fall ball right now. But I think about and if you want to draw any comparisons, and we like to draw comparisons all the time to baseball, if you look back early in the season last year about winning against Tulane, whether it be winning against you know, Kent State or whoever and comeback wins early in the season, I always felt like, and I think that team always felt like, they were in games and had a chance to come back and win. Sometimes it's just just the way you think. You know, Sylvester Croom used to talk about when he played at Alabama about how when it got to the fourth quarter, they always felt like, hey, we are going to win no matter if we're ahead or behind what happens. And I think that is – that is such a big thing in sports about knowing how to win.
1: Problem is, some of the years he was here as a coach, we weren't close enough in the fourth quarter to
0: well, no. do something
1: special. But well, I'll, I'll leave that alone. We did have the Egg Bowl. We did. So, I, I won't take that Th- away from Thanks, him. that Ogeron. Yeah. And, boy, didn't you hope that coming in again that Ed would pull that off one more time, would pull off a dumb mistake?
0: Man, he coached that game the other day as conservative as you can coach a ball game. LSU was very conservative. I thought their defensive approach, rushing three, sitting back. I mean, they brought that extra guy up and ran a four-man front and kind of shut us down. But then they went right back to three-man. And they kind of sat back. and you, They you, go four in the red zone pretty much. They did. They did. And you start talking about some of those big plays and some of those big moments. You know, what happens if you get seven instead of three early on? You know, what happens if you hit that fade route in – you know, late in the game in the third quarter, instead of having to you know, miss that field goal. You know, you just look back at so many different things that can happen. I still don't like fade route on third down. But anyway,
1: but at the end of the day, now we're 2-2. and You never like to fade route on third down, though. And you, And that's the, I want to make the point about that, that fade route. If you go back to the Memphis game, we make a perfect throw, but the defender makes a play, receiver can't make the catch. In this game, we don't make a perfect throw, the receiver doesn't get out there and make the catch. And you go back to the thing,
0: so many things have to go right on that route. Because as a quarterback, you're throwing it backside. The last thing you want to do there is under throw it, and a guy picks it off when you've got what you think is going to be a surefire field goal. And so you're not going to throw it, under-throw it. You don't want to underthrow it. And so if you're going to miss, you're going to miss long, and that's what happened in that situation. All right, so, Charlie, when we come back, we'll talk to Jake Gotro, assistant baseball coach, and kind of get the fall feel of Mississippi State baseball and trying to kind of bounce back, bounce back from a good thing, bounce back from winning the national championship. And we'll talk to Jake and then Charlie and I in the final segment. We'll talk a little bit about Mississippi State and Texas A&M. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau Studios in downtown Startville, And so we're going to change it up just a little bit this week. We're getting into fall baseball right now and We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about football later in the show. But Jake Gotro, assistant coach, he's the recruiting coordinator, hitting coach, and also works for the Bulldog infielders. We'll talk to Jake in just a moment. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, Country Pleasing, produced right here in the state of Mississippi. Boy, it's a great product you can be proud of. and Put it on your grill for any time. You have a tailgate, you have friends over in the backyard, it is a staple, it is a must, just about every time you have a cookout. Country Pleasing Sausage, so many different varieties. Go to countrypleasing.com to find out more. And So, Charlie Winfield, we're going to talk to Jake Gotro. So many memories about the College World Series, and it just hit us this week. We haven't talked to to Jake or to Chris Lamonas here on the show, and so, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing from Jake.
1: Well, I operate with one distinct philosophy, Bart, and that is this there is never a bad time to talk about your school winning a national championship. So I get that it's football season, but it's also fall baseball season. I got scrimmages going on. We want a national championship and you know what? I'm looking forward to talking about it.
0: And so let's go to the phone where Jake Gotro, assistant coach at Mississippi state. He's a recruiting coordinator, hitting instructor and also works for the bulldog infielders and Jake Appreciate you taking a little bit of time away from Fall Ball to talk with us. And, hey, man, just looking back, after everything ended, you know, you're talking about early July. You come back here. We have parades. We have programs. We have camps. You have recruiting. Then all of a sudden, kids are back in school. Have things normalized for you guys, or is it still kind of a whirlwind just trying to work it back to where it's just baseball?
2: You know, it is still kind of a whirlwind. I I think a lot of people that I've talked to have said, oh, man, that – those games in Omaha, they seem like such a long time ago. And for us, it literally seems like yesterday, um, because you're just blowing and going nonstop. And when it was over, I think we were home for two days and then we hit the road. And I think I did about 27 nights in a row recruiting. Um, because when you play that long, you miss most of the summer came back from that, took the family to the beach for about three days. And then school started. We were back in the office and then we were on the field doing our individual skill work. So, it has been a, real, a whirlwind, but, um, but a special one to say the least, that's for sure.
1: Jake, you talk about recruiting. We've always recruited at Mississippi State at a very high level. You guys have obviously done an outstanding job at that. But I'm curious, how was life on the recruiting trail? Was it any different kind of going back out with that national title under your belt? It
2: is. It definitely is. Um, there's so many of these young players across the country that were, that were tuned into every pitch of the World Series. You know, and we were just talking about it this morning in the office. It was a very, very unique way to win that thing in regards to how everything worked out. Um, we saw some really good teams. As the hitting coach, we saw some special, special pitching against us. And, and Lim kept telling the boys they were going to have to earn every piece of their first national championship. And they did. They earned it at a very, very high level with some real grit, some real toughness, some real buy-in, just a total team effort, you know. Um, but I think these young players across the country that were watching it, uh, everybody I talk to, besides the fact that you won the national championship and we know how special that is for so many different reasons, a lot of these kids and families keep talking about how, how fun we were to watch, how entertaining they were, um, how they never gave up. And so when, when Mississippi State wins the Natty, obviously it's good for so many reasons, but it's been really, really cool to hear kids and families talk about what they thought about our team and our program um, as they watched us win that thing and go through the whole tournament. So it's more than just being the national champion. It's it's it was it's more right now about how we did it and what this group of kids is about here. It helps a tremendous amount in recruiting. It does. It's 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 definitely been different. Um, I think obviously you're the you're the kind of the hot school, a hot team um, when you win the whole thing like that, and so it, it definitely helps in the entire recruiting process because guys are obviously developing, they're getting better. You have guys taking in the first round every year right now, and then you win the whole thing. It, it's just a, it's a nice way for for a family and a young man to to want to be a part of
0: something special. Jake, you talk about all these recruits looking and seeing all these big moments, and of course Charlie and I look back, and we have our big moments that we think about in the College World Series, whether it be you know Tanner's three run home run, whether it be you know Kellum Clark with a home run to kind of you know get everything started for you so many big memories for us. It just has a chance to sit down and kind of look back at the, at the college world series. What are the big moments that you sit there and say, you know what? I I can't believe that happened.
2: (laughs) Um, I can't believe they, they pitched to Tanner Allen, but, (laughs) but that was, that one sticks out to me because of the conversation, everything going on with me and Tanner Allen, when he's on deck, when they go to the bullpen and that kid's on the mound getting loose, you know, we, we do scouting reports before the game. We try to get these guys to be as prepared as they can be for, for whatever at-bat that it might be. And in, in that case, I thought we were really, really prepared for that that closer. Um, and at the same time, I'm thinking about my conversation with Tanner Allen, and I'm, I'm wondering if they're really going to pitch to him. Um, obviously, they did, and that was a, a huge, huge swing for, for yeah. our program. Um, I think of the Tanner Leggett piece. Um, Tanner Leggett is the ultimate teammate. He had been tremendous all year long obviously was not an everyday starter. Um, He gets that opportunity. You could hear our dugout and our team behind him, and he was walking up the steps telling him he was going to end the game right now. He was going to be the hero. And the pitcher was in his set on the rubber, and Coach Lim was standing to my left. You know, I guess you can kind of call me his bench coach um, when we're on offense. And I grabbed his right shoulder, and I said, Coach Lim, this is going to be an unbelievable story for Tanner Leggett. And the pitch came out of his hand. It was a slider, as we all know, and he hit that thing over shortstop, and, and the rest is history. Um, that really, really sticks out to me. Probably the biggest swing in the history of our program. Um, and from a kid who was just a wonderful teammate and did everything that we asked when he wasn't always playing. You know, um, Will Bednar, before Game 2 against Vandy, he was by the rollaway, by the, by the batting case during BP. And I'm usually cause I'm not his position coach. I'm not with them all the time. And me and coach cheese and will had a great relationship. We would always rough them up and give them a hard time. Well, I walked over to him before game two and I said, Hey, listen, I promise I'm not being funny guy today. I'm not being sarcastic. This isn't a loaded question. I said, but we're going to win this game. Do you have enough, enough in you to give us one tomorrow? And he looked at me like I had 10 heads. Like, what are you talking about? And I said, seriously, do you have enough to give us one inning? And he said, Coach, give me the ball. I will start that game. And so as, it, as we go into fast forward, we win that game, and we're talking as a group. I looked at Coach Lem and Coach Fox, and I said, who's starting the game tomorrow? And they looked at me like I had 10 heads. said, <laughs> Will Bednar starting the game tomorrow? <laughs> you know, and, um, and he said he had a good three innings in him, and then obviously he kept rolling, and he didn't want to come out of that game. And as, as a coaching staff, you're always trying to make sure you're doing things right for those arms or special arms, and you don't want to put them in harm's way. So we just wanted to make sure that he felt good enough to go out there um, and then gave us, once again, another legendary performance, which was, which was crazy special. Um, I think my last thing I'll give you that sticks out, we lose game one um, to Vandy. And obviously, Mac had a tough first inning, but you know we kind of we won innings two through nine after that. Jack Leiter, we had beat earlier in the year. Uh, we gave him his first loss of the season. I thought we battled. We did a pretty good job against them, to be honest with you. But we played with some real grit and toughness from innings two through nine. And Lim spoke to the team after the game in the dugout. And um, when it was over, I was putting my stuff away in my bag, getting ready to get on the bus. And several players walked by me and grabbed me and said, Hey, just so you know, we're winning this game tomorrow. And the next guy would grab me and say, Coach, we're fine. We got this one tomorrow. And and they kept coming to me and talking like that. So you're sitting there thinking as a coach, All right, these guys feel pretty good about this game tomorrow. You know, and when that game started, that game two started, it was pretty much it was pretty much over from the very beginning for the rest of the series against them. So just a special group of kids that were tough, that played together, that had a, a crazy will to win. They they just weren't gonna lose.
1: You mentioned Tanner Leggett, and I go back to memories of the World Series for me, and I think about Tanner Leggett, a junior college guy, driving in, Braylon Skinner, a junior college guy. And Bart and I have been really lucky doing the SEC Network broadcast and then on this show. We get a lot of feedback from junior college baseball coaches. I mean, there's some good baseball guys in the junior colleges in Mississippi. And I think so many times we start thinking about recruiting and we think about guys who are younger – But I think back, I think you could make the argument that junior college baseball is as good as it's been in this state in a long time, and that we aren't the program we are without those guys. 100%.
2: And and at that time during the World Series, I remember Lem's press conferences, and I remember Lem talking about our JUCO guys and how important they were to the the run that we were on. I remember him talking about Mississippi junior college programs and, and players all over. I remember all that, and when you really look at it, the Tanner Leggett, the Braylon Skinner, the Preston Johnson, the Houston Harding, uh, the Parker Sinnett, and I'm sure I'm leaving guys out. I know I am, but but those guys um, were such a big part of that run there late, especially. You know, um, they'd been a big part of it all year, but there was some really, really. Um, Big time moments for those guys in big spots where they really stepped up, and there's no way we do it without those guys.
0: Jake, you talk about junior college transfers, and now in today's world about just the overall transfer portal. You know, last year, Scotty DeBrule comes in, you start talking about some of those moments. One of the big moments for me was it seemed like every at bat he came to the plate, he was grinding out an at bat. A guy like that, what does it do to your program for a guy to just get better? as the season goes on, because so many times when we see the word transfer and a guy comes in, everybody saying, hey, he's going to step right in and play. How tough is it to come from somewhere else in the country to the best league in the country? But he kind of just fought his way through that whole thing and really got better in the last month
2: of the season. No, no doubt. You talk about grinding out at bats, and from the very beginning of this whole process with Scotty, we called him a grinder. He was just that baseball player grinder would never give in. Um, obviously talented, but it was more of his mindset and the toughness and and the veteran piece that that really made him go. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of as a hitting coach is, is the fact that we get in that box and we grind, and we're not going to take a pitch off. Um, and you're going to have to really, really reach down and go to your best pitches um, to get us out. You know, and of course, there's times we strike out, and we have bad at bats. That's part of the game. But but the the overall thought process as our offense. Is you're going to have to kill us to beat us. We're not giving in in the box. And and Scotty was a veteran that had had a wonderful career at a, a great program. And we didn't know if it was going to be 350 or if it was going to be 280. We didn't know what we were getting, but we knew we were getting a tough out and a, a veteran leader that could also defend. You know, and so he was the perfect addition to our offense and and what we were about. You know, the the numbers weren't crazy, but what he did for us. Um, offensively and defensively um, was incredible. You know, there was just so many big hits and big walks and, and um, you know, nine, ten pitch at bats where he would just wear guys down. Um, and there's a, this is a great story, and we talked about it in practice last week. I don't know how much time we have, but I'm going to give it to you. Um, Scotty had been playing every day, and he had gone into a, a nice little funk for about two weeks. He was making a lot of early outs. He was chasing balls out of the zone a bunch of soft contacts. So we went to Auburn and, um, and we sat him on Friday and we put Tanner Leggett in and uh, I went over to Scotty on the bench, on the rail. And I said, I put my arm around him and I said, Scotty, look, man, I don't want you to overanalyze this thing. Um, if anything, we're just kind of giving your brain a few days off to kind of reboot and, um, and give Tanner Leggett a shot. And I couldn't even get out of my mouth. And he said, coach, you got it all wrong. You don't need to explain yourself to me. He says, um, I haven't been playing well. And Tanner Leggett deserves this opportunity. And I know at some point, it's going to come back to me. And I'm going to be up there in a big spot, and I'm going to have to come through to help out this team win. But don't think twice about it. I came here to win a national championship, and I'm good right now. And I, I walked away. Because usually when guys aren't playing, no matter how much I love them or how, how great of kids they are, you don't get that kind of a response. you know. And so when he told me that, Um, I realized what Scotty was all about. And then sure enough, it does come back to him, and he gets his opportunity. And and when he got back in the lineup after Auburn, um, he was one of our our main guys in the lineup that made us go.
0: We're talking to Jake Gotro, assistant coach at Mississippi State. And this segment, once again, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing. You can't go wrong with Country Pleasing. Jalapeno cheddar. That's Charlie's favorite kind. I like the pork and pineapple. Had it just last night. So look at your local grocer. Anywhere in the state of Mississippi, go find it. It's great stuff. Made right here in the state of Mississippi. Country pleasing sauces. We'll come back and we'll talk further with assistant coach Jake Gotro. Right after this. You're listening to Out of Left Field. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. We're in the Farm Bureau studios. We're talking to Assistant Coach Jake Gotro. And this segment brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Trax Plus. They've got forestry equipment from Barco. Got those big mulching heads for all the great people in the forestry world. Sany equipment. If you're looking for an excavator, skid steer, Charlie can actually drive one now. So check them out. Four locations. You've got the one in Hickory. That's kind of the main base. They're tripling the size of that place in Hickory. It's amazing at all the equipment. New used equipment doesn't matter. They're one of the largest distributors of used equipment in the Deep South. They also have the location here in Columbus, between Columbus and Startwell, then Summit, Mississippi, and Alexandria, Louisiana. And that's Tracks Plus.
1: Kind of looking at the team coming up next year, I know you guys are in fall practice right now, and you start to look ahead. This year we've added a couple of transfers. You have middle infielder in R.J. Yeager and then the center fielder in Jess Davis. Where do you see those guys in terms of their development, and do you expect kind of that similar adjustment period for those guys as they come into SEC play?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a different level of play, and and I think they're already seeing it here um, against our own arms. You know, But you're, you're bringing those guys in with the same mindset and the same thought process of, of these guys can bring to your club what Scotty brought last year. Um, they're all different players, but the similarities are proven guys that are older, that have done it, that have performed, um, and should be able to help lead your club. Um, it is very competitive out there right now. Offensively, there's a, a ton of things to, to really be excited about in regards to our returners that have done it and then some some new guys, whether they're freshmen or JUCO guys or, you know, your four-year, five-year transfers. Um, but there's there's a bunch of electric bodies out there, physical bodies, um, guys that can really play by no means is this a, a finished product. It, it never really is, but um, we're working every day and, and there's guys that are flying around out there and, and they're going about it the right way, that's for sure. Right now, especially for the new guys, as their hitting coach, there's not a whole lot of coaching going on on my end, and what I mean by that is, like in-depth instruction. You know, everybody looks different when they stand in the box, and sometimes it can look really funny, but it might work. And so, the worst thing I can do as a, as their coach, as their hitting coach, is think that it's not going to work and, and make a make a change right out of the shoot. So, um, the instruction is a bunch of small, basic little things that they may need to hear from me, um, in regards to how we go about it. But I'm just letting those guys play and, and, and seeing what they bring to the table. And then um, if guys need to need to make changes, we'll use that back into the fall um, to start tinkering with things and, and making changes at that time. But right now, RJ and, and Jess have been guys that have stepped in and, and look like the players we were expecting them to be. You
0: know, we talked to Ben McDonald about this time last year, and we were talking about college baseball and about how he thought the hitters – may have a chance to be a ahead of where they normally are because you didn't have summer ball last year and you had a lot of frontline guys that pitched a lot in the fall where in years past they had not is is everything kind of back on rotation the way it used to be. I mean, I, I see where Landon Sims. I, he's he's working some bullpens, but a lot of these guys playing on end of the summer and we talk about us playing so late and then all of a sudden these guys are going to Team USA or going to the Cape or going to summer leagues. How do you balance what, you know, what these guys did in the summer and then coming into the fall? How do how do you balance that with those guys?
2: Yeah, I think everything's back on track to pretty much being Somewhat of a normal fall before before COVID and everything kind of came to a screeching halt and, and things like that. Um, being the hitting coach, um, I don't. I won't even try to go there in regards to what Coach Fox does with the pitchers and how they go about it. But yeah, depending on their load during the spring and then what they do in the summer, um, and then their their what their bodies look like, how these guys recover. I think every pitcher is different, you know. And so for the most part, right now, um, some of our our bigger arms that that threw a lot during the spring and during the summer, um, they're taking it easy right now, just to kind of protect those guys. Um, but on the flip side, we got a bunch of a bunch of arms that have returned and some new ones that are getting after it pretty good right now, and and we're working their pitch counts up so that we can see some real deep outings from from them late in the fall. Yeah, I guess Sims, Bristow, Preston Johnson. I think they would be the main ones right now that haven't thrown in a game yet. I think. Either all of them or a couple of those guys will throw competitive pitches in inner squads later on in the fall. But some of the young guys and the returners have good stuff. They've been getting after it, and Fox has started stretching those guys out. So we're getting a pretty good look of, of what those guys are about and what they're going to be able to do for us this year.
1: Jake, I couldn't sleep last night, and I stayed up playing on YouTube, and I was watching Moneyball quotes, and they were talking about how do you replace Jason Giambi at first? Well, you don't do it with one guy. You do it with three. And That's that right. got me to thinking about the top two guys in our batting order, you know, a Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen, how do you replace those guys? Maybe not with two guys, uh, but with more. When you kind of look at filling the top of that order as we head into spring, do you see maybe a new guy emerging? Do you see old guys, kind of some veterans, just taking another step forward in their progression? What do you see taking place there?
2: Yeah, it's tricky. It's so tricky because uh, you go back to, you know, you lost Mangum and McNamee one year, and then, Um, You lost Poskiew and Westy, and now you lost, you know, Rowdy and T.A. Um, Those kids are such special players and such special people and leaders. Uh, In my mind, you're never replacing them. You know, you're never going to replace them. You're just looking for the next great ones to step up, and those next great ones that are stepping up are now a year or two years um, in the system, and they are, are part of the culture and everything that. I was saying to them their freshman year that was new for them that they weren't quite doing yet. Now they're saying to the new guys, they're saying to the young guys. Um, And it's pretty special when you look at it that way. So you look at it immediately and you're so excited about Cameron James and Logan Tanner and Luke Hancock and um, Kellum Clark and Braylon Skinner. You can just, you can keep going. You can keep going because they're special talents and they're getting better every day, but they're also starting to really morph into that that leader that veteran that's been here that knows our system and and fully buys in and to see them helping the younger guys the new guys is really special so I just think about what our offense is about our offense is about being aggressive and hitting the fastball and doing damage offensively but also having the the willingness to fight and never give in and and the two-strike fight piece and taking your walks. um I look at Luke Hancock and last year I don't even know what he hit I think he hit around 260 but he had the best 260 season I've ever seen in my life you know he he struck out 17 times I think and walked almost 50 and in this league the league of no mercy with all these big arms um it's it's insanity what he did but Logan Tanner can be that way and Cameron James can be that way and Kellen Clark can be that way so you're just waiting for the next special one to step up and take over and there's so many guys that can can make that big jump in that next step top of the order your are braylon skinners your jeff davis i'm trying to think of guys who could lead off for us there's so many options there but then the the kellum the cam the logan tanner the luke hancock those guys returning being that meat of your order you feel really really good about it you know people say hi how are you going to be able to recreate what you've created now that all those other guys are gone, you know, in regards to your system and your culture. And sometimes they think because those good players are gone, you can't do it. Even my wife said one night and I got mad and she said, no, I'm not doubting you. I'm just asking you how you're going to do it. You know, And <laughs> you, you just hope that, that the kids continue to buy into what you do here and, and want to get better every day. And, and you hope that the older guys that have been a part of it, um, you can ha- actually lean on them to help you as well.
0: Jake, before we let you go, You know, in in today's world of hitting, and you mentioned that hitting approach and about that two-strike approach and about how good we were last year at limiting strikeouts, I look at travel ball today, and I mean, I don't know you guys have been working in the travel industry for a long time, and just about how the game has changed offensively all the way through the major leagues where it's almost like it's not a bad thing to strike out. Is it hard to incorporate that change in today's world of player? that is coming in that may not have been a big point of emphasis for them over the last two, three years about striking out and now getting here and kind of going back to an old-school mentality of hitting.
2: Right. It can be a little bit challenging, and I think it's where I have to have some real feel in regards to understanding where they're coming from and and, and who they are. Hitting is tough, and everybody is different, and I don't try to cookie-cut anybody. I try to make them the best that they can be in regards to their setup and their swing, Um, and allowing them to be comfortable. The two-strike fight piece, to me, I'm very, very passionate about because there's so many benefits. And once they buy in, they start to see it and realize it works for them. They start to realize realize it works for the entire team. Starting pitchers in the SEC are having to dig down, and they're going to stress pitches early on in the game. They're trying to throw their best breaking ball or their best fastball. We call those stress pitches early. And the earlier we can get those pitchers to do that, Um, The more those guys are grinding on that starter, the quicker we're going to get in that bullpen. And usually we get in that bullpen, we we can do some damage there. But it is all part of the culture and the system here. It is dangerous today to talk about the swing. I kind of call it the plague. You know, there's big leaguers are hitting balls in the seats. They're hitting 40 home runs and and driving in 100. And it's kind of continued to trickle down year after year to the young player. And they talk about launch angle now. and The problem with the launch angle is the guys on TV are the best, Hitters, <clears throat> hitters on the planet, and they're 6'4", 235 pounds, and they're strong as heck, and they have thousands and thousands and thousands of more at-bats than the, the young amateur. So some of those guys in the big leagues can try to lift it a little bit, and they could actually miss it. They could clip it, and it still may go out of the yard. You know, for the young hitter that's not as physical and not near as talented, it's very, very dangerous. So I'm still trying to learn every day. I don't have it all figured out. Never act like that. I'm trying to learn. But we are a little bit more old school in regards to our swing pass and until the day I die until somebody tells me that I'm wrong we're going to fight with two strikes and we're not going to give in and um, we're not going to give at backs away but like I said kids buy in and it's a credit to them for buying in when they get here and then you have the older guys to say hey Johnny this is what we do here and it works and it's going to work for you and it's going to work for our program so trust me we need you to buy in so you have the older guys to help you there too.
1: Well, Jack, man, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, next year, Bart and I, we'll just get a hotline down to the dugout. We can fix it all from the broadcast booth for you if you get any questions <laughs> or anything. Uh, we're, we're not capable of doing any of it, but we, we, we're good at second guessing, right? We can relay, message, we
0: can relay messages from Coach Polk because he's always hanging over <laughs> our shoulder. <laughs> yeah, That's
1: it's true. been an experience. Yeah. But thanks so much for taking the time and uh, hope you guys continue to have a good fall.
2: Thank you guys for having me. Y'all have a great day in Hell State.
0: That's Jay Gotro, assistant coach, Mississippi State Baseball. Hey, brought up some good points. That's the thing, Charlie, is you've got a lot of guys coming back. Everybody always talks about the new guys. Everybody wants to talk about the new names. But you've got a bunch of guys in there, and he talked about that a moment ago at the top of your order, Luke Hancock or Cameron James. I mean, there are so many guys who have kind of been there and done that now that you're looking for them to kind of elevate their game.
1: I think Hancock has a chance because of the way he sees the baseball, because of the way he contacts the baseball and doesn't strike out, and already has some that flash of power. I look for him to have a really big gear. You wonder what sort of leap Kellum Clark can make. And look, Logan Tanner has shown the ability to hit the baseball hard. I think that's another guy. And, of course, Cameron James has a chance to be an elite baseball player, not only in the SEC but around the country.
0: And this segment brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus. Tracks Plus, four locations, three in the state of Mississippi. You've got Hickory, Mississippi on the I-20 Hickory exit between Starkville and Columbus on Highway 82. If you're in Columbus and you're around that area looking for something, the barco equipment, whether it be in the forestry world or in the construction world, Daniel Bounds, Fred Fulton in Columbus, Ken Crosby down in Hickory. But if you're down in Summit, down in Pike County, Gresh Howell, or over in Alexandria, Louisiana, go by and see Hoop Weems, and they'll get you all set up for some great Barco equipment, Rayco, Demi Seamoth, those mulching heads, or Saney equipment. And once again, this segment brought to you by our friends at Tracks Plus. Charlie and I will come back with a final word. You're listening to Idle Left Field. And hey, welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Startville. So, Charlie, now we turn our attention to Texas A&M, and I know we'll come back on Friday and have our Friday deep dig when we really get into all the stats of the Aggies and Mississippi State. But So we'll kind of hit this from 10,000 feet right now. But the thing that I look at Texas A&M, they played two games at home against Kent State in New Mexico, so they really haven't had much uh, competition playing at home. But they went to Denver. They played against Colorado. Probably should have lost that game, one ten to 7 Of course, they lost their starting quarterback early in that game as Haynes King went out. So they've gone to Zach Calzada as their starting quarterback. And to be quite honest with you, Charlie, offensively, A&M has not been very good. Isaiah Spiller, to me, is the guy to watch. We're second in the league right now in rushing defense, and I think that's going to be the game of the game right there is how we can stop the A&M rushing attack.
1: And overall, it makes you feel pretty good if that's what you're facing because I think this Mississippi State defense can line up pretty well and, and stop a running attack. But even in the rushing attack, you look at A&M right now, eighth in the league in rushing per ball game. You look at scoring offense. You can measure offense a lot of ways, and people will object to it in – whichever one you pick, but let's just look generally. Scoring offense, only South Carolina and Vanderbilt score fewer points per game than Texas A&M. You look at total offensive yards, LSU, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, the only ones who have fewer yards per ball game. Touchdown scored, only South Carolina and Vanderbilt have fewer. And if all of a sudden you find yourself associated with South Carolina and Vanderbilt in the category of offensive football, you got problems. You got big problems. And boy, seventy five million doesn't get you what it used to, does it?
0: This is it seventy five or ninety? Didn't they re up him for like three more years and raise it to about nine?
1: I mean, oh my Ross, boy. Goodness.
0: Oh Ross. Ross is something else. Ross Bjork, now the athletic director at Texas A and M. What a fantastic humble guy. But no, yeah, I think they're they're back to ten years now at like nine million on Jimbo Fisher. Of course, last year. Everybody thought, well, a lot of people thought that Texas A&M was going to be in the college football playoff. They definitely thought that this is, this was the year they were going to be in the discussion, and they have really not played to that way so far. So right now you start talking to people out in College Station, and, man, they are really on fire about their offense, about how bad their offense has been. Now, on the defensive side, Mike Elko has that A&M defense playing well. This is going to be a very good defense that Mississippi State will see. And so scoring is going to be at a premium. Last year we only scored 14 points against Texas A&M, and seven of those were pick six. So we didn't perform well offensively last year against Texas A&M, and that's going to be a big thing in this game, Charlie. We start talking about how, you know, we contain A&M's rushing attack, but we got to figure something out offensively.
1: Yeah, that's right. See, in a way, you think about it, we right now are one of the best defenses in the league against the run that's what they're going to try to do. They, they're going to try to be a running team against us. So that matches up pretty well for us. But on the other hand, this is a team that is ranked second in the SEC right now in terms of pass efficiency defense. You start to feel like if you can't throw it on some lesser teams the way you want to, how are you going to throw it on these guys? Because these guys are going to be pretty good.
0: And the thing that they normally do, A&M usually gets a pretty good pass rush, and they're usually very good with their ends. You know, that's the thing that we didn't have to really worry about this past week. And, you know, we talk about positives from that LSU game and about how the offensive line performed well and will have time to throw the football minus the one sack. But we were not pressured in that game at all because LSU really just sat back and rushed to three. And you kind of wonder what A&M is going to do. Are they going to bring pressure? Is their defensive front going to be better than LSU's defensive front? That has been a strength For A&M, here's the thing to me that Jimbo Fisher and his staff have done. What has always been the knock about Texas A&M since they joined the league? What has been the knock against Texas over the past several years? It's about a blue-collar mentality and a very physical style, especially on the defensive side. Jimbo's a guy who's coached in the Deep South, and he's always coached in the Deep South. He's recruited well across the Deep South. And it's almost like with Mike Elko, they have brought a different brand in the last two to three years with that defense. To me, that's the thing that stands out about Texas A&M is they're finally getting tough. I mean, especially on the defensive side of the football, they're beginning to you're beginning to see some toughness that you see in the deep south.
1: But you know what you don't see with Texas A&M, and you correct me if you disagree. I still don't think you see the dynamic athletes that you have to have to win in the SEC. You know, you come in with a Manziel, and obviously he drew all the attention when they came into the league
0: for good and bad. Yeah, yeah,
1: he he got a lot of attention. <laughs> he was one of, all news is good news, right? All all attention's good. So, but where where do you see that guy in their program right now? You know, you look back at. Go back and you look at LSU back in 2019, and you saw those receivers, and you saw Joe Burrow. Go back last year with Alabama, you saw Devontae Smith, and you see these playmakers. Even for a team thought to be kind of old-school conservative, Alabama's put some real playmakers on the field. Do you see those guys? Have you seen those guys at A&M on the offensive side of the ball? No, we've seen some defenders. But have you seen those guys on the offensive side of the ball?
0: Yeah, I'm want I'm, I'm to – Kind of clarify my statement. Yeah, they become blue collar on the defensive side with their defensive front and their linebackers. But as you say the playmaking style, and you kinda of wonder about you know, there are so many people that go into Texas, man, they gotta fight so many people off to get skilled players, whether it be Oklahoma, whether it be everybody in the country. LSU. LSU. I mean, you got teams from you know, Boise State and to Colorado and to everybody and their brother recruiting the state of Texas. Now you look at their lineup and just about all their guys are from the state of Texas, but no, they don't have that dynamic. You would say Isaiah Spiller has the capabilities of being a big time running back, but you look at Johnny Manziel. He had Mike Evans on the outside. I mean, you had a legitimate outside receiver for Texas A&M at that time, but I agree with you skill position wise. You know, they, they kind of lack a, and it's, it's kind of puzzling. It's really puzzling to see how they have really struggled. So,
1: anyway. Well, think about this. I'm going to find three players for Missouri ranked in receiving yards before I find the first one for Texas A&M in our league.
0: Well, how much does that have to do with Calzado You know, being a quarterback that they're trying to bring him along a little bit? How much time does he have to throw? There's so many factors in there. Charlie and I will come back. We'll have our deep dig for you on Friday. And we'll kind of get into all the numbers about Texas A&M and Mississippi State. Then we'll be back on Sunday to talk all about it on Sunday Coffee. So, hey, appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on the midweek. We appreciate Jake Gotro taking time out of fall practice to talk with us. And so, once again, thanks to our great sponsors, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Tracks Plus, Country Pleasing Sausage, and will Mississippi's College Town. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Out of Left Field.